There's, there's lots of stories like that coming through the college, and uh, it, is, it is great. I would encourage you to be a part of that preview day. Um, if you're at all interested, it would be a good time. Um, but I, I'm honored to be here with you guys today. It's a, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, before we can go any further, though, we do need to honor someone in the room. It is their birthday. It is the first lady of the house, Miss Tyra Rains. It is her birthday. We're celebrating. She's turning 30 today. Don't ask, don't ask details of how she is the same age as her kids. It is impolite to ask a lady her age. Um, but we're celebrating with, with you, and we're so thankful for you. If you've sat across the table with her in any kind of a conversation, um, you were both encouraged, challenged. You probably cried a little bit, felt like you got slapped in the face, but smiled through it. And, uh, and so we're so thankful for the wisdom that you bring. And, uh, and we're going to jump in today. I'm excited to be here. I've got a message uh, in, in Sunday school. Uh, I'm not actually sure what part we're in, but uh, it's been a great series. And, uh, and I believe that the Lord has something to share with you. What was that? 10, part 10. Tammy's uh, giving me the, the, the direction in the back there. We're in Sunday School Part 10. Um, it's been a 10-week series. We're not stopping anytime soon. We're going to keep on going. And, uh, and we're seeing just story after story of life change, um, just like Steve here, of, of what God's doing in, in his life. And we'd love to hear your story as well. So you can email us at stories at ypcprior.com. And uh, we'd love to share your story. And I just want to reiterate that this Wednesday night is going to be a powerful night uh, with our Freedom Experience. I'm super excited to have Caitlin and, and, and Jess with us. Uh, we went to college together in, in Alabama, and uh, they're incredible, anointed worship leaders, and uh, it's going to be a fun night. But following our Freedom Night, we're actually going to have an opportunity, um, maybe if you've made a decision here recently to follow Jesus, we're going to have baptism set up in the lobby. And so if you want to be baptized and, and you're ready to say, um, and this is the way we say baptism, baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. And so in other words, I made a decision inwardly that I'm going to give my life to Jesus and I'm following Jesus. And outwardly, we're express, expressing it through baptism. And so maybe you're like, man, I've made that decision. I want to go all in. Um, we would love to, to celebrate with you this Wednesday night. You can actually get signed up out here at our information desk. Um, we've got some sign-up sheets out there. But we're going to jump into, into the Word today. I've got a message that I've called a new covenant. And let me just clarify, because last week... Uh, pastor said that uh, we're starting the New Testament this week, and we kind of are. We're bridging. I, there's one story in the Old Testament that I just couldn't shake. And so we're gonna, today we're going to be bridging the Old Testament into the New Testament, and I'm calling it a, a new covenant. But would you just open up your hands with me? Come on, just in, let's just start off in a posture of receiving. Just say this with me. Say, Lord. Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. Lord, I'm ready to receive from you. Open up my heart and my eyes to experience what you have for me in Jesus' name. And Father, that is what we're praying, Lord, for a fresh anointing. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do in this place. God, we're, we're, expecting, we're expecting to hear from you today in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said amen and amen. I'm going to be reading. Uh, I'm going to be picking up. You can turn in your Bibles uh, to a boy, King Josiah. And I'll be reading out of the Beginner's Bible Translation. And, uh, and then maybe translation might be a far stretch. It's, it's more of like a, a simple uh, paraphrase, I guess, would be a more accurate description of, of the story that we'll be reading today. Um, Boy King Josiah, is that, I don't know what your headline is in your Bible. Um, in mine, it's Boy King Josiah. And, uh, and, and so we've got the verse up on the screen for you today. Uh, a Boy King Josiah, we were reading this the other day. And let me just set up the story. Um, we were reading this a couple of nights ago with the boys. And uh, this is the Bible that we handed out for child dedication. If you guys 
uh, did a child dedication in September, then you received one of these, I'd encourage you to actually read it with your kids. And uh, my boys love reading it at night, and, and they, they do not want to go at night without reading it. And let me just clarify what reading it looks like, because, you know, it, it sounds like my boys are already super spiritual. Um, what's actually happening is they're arguing about who's playing with what toy while I'm reading the Bible. And occasionally they look back at the picture, but they do want it read. And, uh, and more specifically, Hezekiah's favorite story currently is Big Giant's or big mean giants, not to be confused with the big green giant, he sells green beans. Um, but the big mean giants is Kaya's favorite story right now. And, and so that was, that's, that's the story of Goliath and, uh, and David and Goliath. And David was the second king of Israel. David dies, his son Solomon becomes king. And then from Solomon to, for, for chapters, there's not another king that the Bible really goes into great detail about until you get to King Hezekiah, which is actually... Um, what we named, who we named our son after. Uh, and I was reading this in college and I was like, man, if I ever have a boy, that is such a gangster name. I'm going to name him Hezekiah. And then Bailey was on board for it. And so here we go. We've got Hezekiah. But Hezekiah was, was one of the next great kings. The Bible doesn't, it, it focuses on Saul. It focuses on David, on Solomon. But then there's an expanse where it doesn't really hone in on any other good kings until you get to King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah, he lived right. His name actually means God strengthens. Um, he, he did right in the eyes of the Lord. And when he does right in the eyes of the Lord, he actually begins to shift the whole nation of Israel back to the ways of God. Now, I'm not sure what happened. I don't know if, uh, if King Hezekiah didn't necessarily bring his son along with him. But what happened was his, King Hezekiah dies and his son Manasseh takes over as king. And, and I'm not sure if Manasseh just didn't correlate what God did under his, his dad's reign, but Manasseh does evil. And not just evil in the eyes of the Lord, he, he completely and deliberately turns against God and he reigns over Israel for 55 years. That's a long period of time to do evil. And so Manasseh's, Manasseh's reigning and, and, and he's leading the nation of Israel and he's undoing all the good that King Hezekiah did. And Manasseh dies after 55 years of reigning and Manasseh's son Amnon takes over as king. Amnon follows in the same footsteps as his dad. He reigns for two years. He does evil in the eyes of the Lord. But then the palace officials get together. They conspire against Amnon and they kill him in the palace. And then someone, I'm not sure who, decided to put boy king Josiah in charge. And so we're going to pick up on page 235 out of the beginnings Bible. If you would put the verse on screen, please. I love the simplicity of it. Come on, we're not too prideful to read from a kid's Bible, right? Didn't Jesus say, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must first be like a child? Um, There's this just something simple about it. I love the simplicity of the story. A boy named Josiah became the king of Judah when he was only eight years old. Now, I know some of y'all's eight-year-olds. We love them. <laughs> I am not putting them in charge of a kingdom. Now, Whoever did this with Josiah, they made a good choice. It turned out well. Uh, I'm going to read this as I would read it to the boys, okay? If I'm competing with your living room full of toys, let me read to you like I would read uh, to the boys this morning. Uh, so, so a boy named Josiah became the king of Judah when he was only eight years old. I'm showing you the picture. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Josiah loved God. Many bad kings had ruled before him. 
This is a kid's Bible. We're not getting into the nitty gritty of it, okay? We're not, we're not throwing any dirt on people, but if we were, it was his dad and his granddaddy. They were bad kings. And, and, but there's many bad kings that had ruled before him. The temple in Jerusalem had started to crumble. People had not worshiped there for many years. King Josiah decided to fix it up. He wanted his people to worship God in the temple again. This is my reading voice to the boys, okay? Just in case you're wondering, this is my reading voice. So King Josiah hired workers to repair it. And one day, as the men were working, a priest found a scroll hidden in the wall. The priest showed the scroll to the king. Let me put it down. I got to flip the page. I know you're on the edge of your seats. <laughs> it was the book of the law. Everybody see it? It's on screen too. It was the book of the law. King Josiah called everyone together. Then he read them God's laws. The people all made a promise to each other and to God. We will always obey God's laws. I like the simplicity of it. You know, it's just a very simple story. And, and, and what it is, is it's this King Josiah. And King Josiah has made a decision that he's not going to be like his dad or his granddad. That he's actually going to live right and do what the Lord wants him to do. And, and I actually want to read to you um, 2 Kings, you can actually find the story in 2 Kings 22 and 23. But I want to read to you 2 Kings 22, verse 8. It says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Let's just clarify what the book of the law is. The book of the law is actually referring to most likely and, and typically when it refers to it, it's typically referring to the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Torah, also called the Pentateuch. It is the commands that God has really set up the earth. It's the creation story. It's the way we're supposed to live to honor God. That, this is what the book of the law is. And, and so Hilkiah says to, to Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to, to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported it to him. Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors at the temple. The sh then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king. Come on, you already like the kids' Bible more. It leaves out all these complicated names. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's go back to the simplicity. It says, he says, then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. You see, you see how he refers to it? He's given me a book. What did Hilkiah call it? The book of the law. Why? Because he was the high priest. And so though he's not read the book of the law, Hilkiah was very familiar with what it was. And so he finds it and he's like, the king needs to see this immediately. I have found the book of the law. He hands it to, to Shaphan. Shaphan comes to the king. and He's like, hey, Hilkiah, I found a book. What the book was, and, and so typically when we're talking about the book of the law, it's the, it's the Pentateuch, it's the Torah, it's the first five books of the Bible. But most scholars believe that in this case, what they actually found was one of the first manuscripts of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is one of the five books that make up the Torah. But what Deuteronomy focuses on is the blessings and the curses if you either obey or don't obey what God has commanded. In fact, I want to read you uh, part of it, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Verse 1, it says this, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. And all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you, catch this, if you obey the Lord your God. You're going to be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the country. 
The fruit of your womb will be blessed, the crops of your land, the young of the, your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will de be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but they'll flee from you in seven. The Lord will send blessing on your barns and on everything that you put your hands to. Um, the Lord your God will bless you in the land he's giving you. He will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. It goes on. There's more verses. But I've got a lot of verses today, so we're going we're gonna to sum up the rest of it. There's a lot of good things. There's just a lot of good blessings right here if you are to obey what God's called you to do. If you're, if you're to obey the law, there's all these good things in store. You're going to be blessed coming. You're going to be blessed going. Everywhere you go, blessings, blessings, blessings. Everybody look under your seat. No, I'm kidding. We don't have anything under your seat. But there's, there's blessings, blessings and blessings and blessings if you obey what the law is. But here's the question. What's the law? What, is, what, what actually is the law? The law is 613 commandments. 613 commandments. You're like, I thought Moses only had 10 commandments. Right, that's one of, of six or 10 of 613 commandments of how you are to live your life. And in fact, I want to read you a few of them. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is where you actually find um, the Ten Commandments. And so Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're just going to hit a few of them. You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Observe the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbors, so don't lie. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. How many of us are already disqualified? That's only 10 of them. That would be everybody. You're like, I'm not disqualified. I didn't do any of that. Yes, you did, okay? We, we've all done that. We've all already been disqualified, and that's only 10 of 613 commandments. Are you guys following? And so here's the blessings. If, if you're to follow all 613 commandments, oh, come on, you better get ready. You got some good blessings coming. But if you miss one of them, if, if, if you don't do one of them, Deuteronomy 28 goes on to say in verse 15, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses, oh, buckle up because they're coming on you. You'll be cursed in the city. You're like, that's fine, I'll go to the country. No, 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 you're going to be cursed in the country too. Everywhere you go, you'll be cursed, basking your kneading trough, cursed. Fruit of your womb, cursed. The crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, cursed. You'll be cursed when you come in, cursed when you go out. The Lord will send curses, will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin. Oh, joy. Aren't you glad you came to church this Thanksgiving weekend? Amen, everybody. What a, good, what a good time. If you miss one of them, this is what's going to come on. I'm stopping right here at verse 22. It goes to verse 68 of curses. One of which is the itch, the incurable itch. What is that? I have no idea, but I can tell you this. Two nights ago, I was laying in bed, and uh, Bailey's pregnant, you know, kid number three. Here we go. And uh, sometimes, she might be watching live. I hope she's not, because I'm telling her on her. Sometimes... As she's pregnant, there's, there's certain tendencies of things that I can do that uh, cause nausea to rise up. One of which is 
I like to get comfortable when I lay down in bed. And so I kind of like move a little bit. I settle into the bed. And, and sometimes if I move a little bit too much, she gets a little bit nauseous. You know, she's pregnant. It does weird things to your body. And so the other night I'm laying in bed and I get this itch in my back. And the only thing I can think of is if I move, she's getting nauseous. I don't want to move. And so I'm just sitting there trying to like. <laughs> and she's like, why are you moving so much? I've got an itch, okay? I can't, I can't scratch it. And I don't even want to know what the incurable itch is. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's all these curses that come upon you. All I have is just a little, my back itched a little bit. I just, just need a little scratch. And, and, and so there's all these curses that come upon you if you do not follow the commands of God. 613 of them. If you miss one of them, this is your future. And so what, what happens, let's go back to, uh, to 2 Kings 22. Here comes Shaphan. Shaphan reads a book defining what happens if you do not follow the commands of God. And, and, and King Josiah's response, it says in verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. And when, he, when you see this in scripture, it was this sign of this deep mourning. He hears all this. Josiah desperately wants to do right in the eyes of the Lord. And, and he hears this and he just can't help but mourn because now from his dad and his granddad, it's been almost 60 years since the nation of Israel has done right in the eyes of the Lord. You guys follow me this morning? Come on, lean in. The Lord wants to speak to you today. It's been almost 60 years since they've done right in the eyes of the Lord. And so here's King Josiah, and he begins to mourn because he didn't know. He, he, he didn't know. In fact, when I was reading this the other day, I was reading it in the Bible, and, it, and, and the thing that resonated to me was Israel had been so far removed from God that they had hidden the book of the law, and no one thought to even go looking for it. They were so far removed from what God wanted to do in that nation that the book of the law had been hidden and not one person went looking for it. King Josiah wasn't looking for it. What King Josiah wanted to do was he just wanted to please God. And so he didn't set out to find the book of the law. All he did was to set out and he just started with what he could see. I want to do right in the eyes of God. I want to pursue God. I'm just going to start with what I can see. What did he see? He saw a temple in shambles. He said, we're just going to do a little fixer-upper on this thing. Channel some Joanna Gaines, those drapes, out of date. Who put this tile in here in the first place? You know, we're going to open up some walls, make it a little bit more open floor plan. And as he's doing it, they find the book of the law. And he reads this. And his desire is to be in right standing with God. And he mourns as he realizes for almost 60 years, not only were they not in right standing of God, they were deliberately going against what God had told them to do. And he hears what's coming upon them, and he sees it. He sees the state of, of his nation and, and, and the turmoil that's, that's been in his nation. His dad was killed. Come on, there's this, this evil that's in the nation, and he sees and he realizes it's all a result of not following in the ways of the Lord. And as I read this and thought about Josiah's response right here, I couldn't help but think some of us might be in the same situation. You feel the weight and the shame and the guilt of the life you lived before God. Josiah was just, he was just, he was burdened because he, he, was just, he just felt so guilty. He felt the weight and the shame of the life he lived before he met God. But I got good news for somebody who's, who's dealing with that. Come on, Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
You've been feeling weight. You've been feeling condemnation. You've been feeling this shame, this guilt. Listen, that's not from God. God doesn't use shame to get you to be better. He doesn't use guilt to get you to be better. In fact, it says, if you are in Christ, therefore there's no condemnation. Throw off the condemnation. Romans 5, 8, here's good news. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Listen, while we were still in our sin, can I, can I, can I, can I give you guys something that you might need to know? Um, your actions do not surprise God. Listen, the mistakes that you've made, the failures that you've, you've had throughout the years, every time that you say you're going to do better and then you end up slipping, slipping up again, it doesn't surprise God. God still sees it. God still sees the mistakes. God still sees the failures. God still sees the time when you choose to go against him. And he looked out and he saw you and he said, they're still worth dying for. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. But I heard a story of, someone, of a lady that came in last week. And, and, and she came in and she just felt like she was unworthy. Um, unlovable. She felt like she had done too much bad that God cannot actually redeem her or restore. But listen, can I tell you the blood of the lamb is more powerful than any sin that you may have committed. Listen, there's not any sin that you may have done that isn't covered by the blood of the lamb. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, well, um, therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new is here. What's it mean? The old you has passed away. It's, it's no longer who you are. Come on, you're no longer the generations that have lived before you. You're no longer the generations of of failures, of of divorce. You're no longer the generations of addiction. You're no longer the generations of anxiety, of depression. The old you has has gone in a new, oh, come on, I'm preaching better than you guys are responding. Someone better get excited about this because Jesus has redeemed you. It's real, listen, it's a new order. It's a new covenant. In fact, Hebrews 7 says it this way. Flip over there to Hebrews 7 with me. Verse 18 and 19, it says the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. It was weak and useless. And then it says, and a better hope was introduced. The former regulation, what's it referring to? The 613 commandments that was referred to as the law. We're setting it aside. Why? Because it was weak and useless. And a better hope was introduced in which we draw near to God. That better hope is Jesus. That better hope is Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's good news. What's it mean that it was weak and useless? It means that the law couldn't save you. But it was necessary in the fact that it pointed to the fact that you needed a Savior. It was useless. It was useless. You couldn't get to heaven. All it was doing was telling you that you're not getting to heaven. It was just reminding you of the curses that were lying ahead of you. It was useless to to do what you needed to do, but it was necessary because it showed that you still need a Savior. It was necessary because it still showed that you needed redemption through Jesus. Verse 22, it goes on. Hebrews 7, verse 22 says, Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Of a better covenant. What's it mean? It means you don't have to earn your way to heaven. You don't have to earn your way to heaven. You've slipped up. That's okay. There's grace for you. You made some mistakes. That's okay. There's grace for you. There's just been generation of generation of generation of divorce, of cheating, of lying, of stealing. That's okay. There's a better hope for you. You're under a better covenant. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 1, it says, now the first covenant, covenant had regulation for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up, and in its first room were the lampstand, the table, the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most 
holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the golden covered Ark of the Covenant. You guys familiar with the Ark of the Covenant? Anyone seen Indiana Jones? Now you're familiar with the Ark of the Covenant? Okay, trigger some memories there. It says this ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff, that he budded in the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the, the cherubim of glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Because when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry out their ministry. But this is what I want you to see. Only the high priest entered the inner room. What was in the inner room? The ark of the covenant the most holy place. And so only the high priest, only one person would enter into the presence of God. No one else in the nation could enter God's presence. And it says that, that only happened once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this state the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as its first tabernacle was still standing. In other words, there had to be a new covenant. There had to be a new order because it was this, this building. You would, you'd go to the temple and, and that's where the most holy place was. The only place that you could experience the presence of God was in the tabernacle, in the most holy place. It was, in, it was in one spot and only one man could go to the one spot where it was and he could only go one time a year. It says they... Um, they would go in, and this is an, they'd go into the, the uh, most holy place. And it says this is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and the sacrifice being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Come on, this is Sunday school. Lean in. Because you might say, I'm saved by grace, but what has grace actually saved you from? Jesus has saved me, but do you know what Jesus has actually saved you from? Do you know what it took to actually get back into the presence of God? They're only a matter of food and drink, various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. In other words, these, these sacrifices that were being made would just temporarily cover you. They wouldn't save you. They would just temporarily cover you. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That's not to say a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, again, where the presence of God is, once for all by his own blood. See, if you go back through and you look through the, the first five books of the Bible, what you'll see is every time you you failed to live according to the law. Every time you missed one of the 613 commandments, there was a sacrifice that you had to make in order to be in right standing with God. But it was just an external covering. It didn't actually change you on the inside. And so there was just this temporary covering that could just get you by. But it says right here in Hebrews 9 that Jesus entered the most holy place, not by the blood of calves, not by the blood of goats, but by his own blood. Oh, come on, somebody. By his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean uh, to sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished because he was without sin to God to cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Verse 22 says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. This is why Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. And this is why you hear your pastors tell you, don't just treat grace as your license to sin. Because the sin was paid for, but it wasn't free. It came by the blood of the lamb. Come on, it came from Jesus's blood. The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so Jesus came and he shed his blood. He shed his blood so that you might find freedom. Verse 28 says, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Maybe you haven't grown up in church. This is what we call the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Jesus, whatever you want to call it. Left behind is what Nicolas Cage would call it. It's the second coming of Jesus. And and here's the thing, there's there's a group of people where you feel guilty for the things that you did that you didn't know you weren't supposed to be doing. We've covered that. There's, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's another group of people where you'd say you feel anxious and you and you feel guilt for the things that you continue to do. For the things that you continue to do. You said, I'm gonna live my life for Jesus, but then you're still doing the same things you you were doing before you said you were going to live for Jesus. And, there, and then and you'd say, I feel, I feel this guilt and I, and I feel this, when I was doing student ministry, the teenagers called it, uh, they felt anxious. You could tell when they felt anxious. We'd be in a service and man, you could just feel the Holy Spirit come in and there's just this powerful moment happening. And then a herd of teenagers leave. I don't know what happened. I was just feeling anxious in there. No, 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 listen, that's called Conviction. That's different than condemnation. That's different than condemnation. That feeling on the inside of you that's like, something's just wrong and you're ignoring it. That's the Holy Spirit trying to speak to you because what happened when Jesus came and created a new covenant, again, Hebrews 7, 19, the law made nothing perfect. A better hope was introduced in which we draw near to God. No longer is it just one person, one time a year. What happened, Jesus says it when he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, hey, wait here in Jerusalem because my father is sending you the helper, the counselor who's gonna come in you and he's gonna live on the inside of you, inside our spirits. Listen, we're spirit. When you you die, your body goes to the grave, but your spirit either goes to heaven or it goes to hell. And when you receive Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit begins to live on the inside of you. So no longer do we worship God in a temple. You are the temple. You become the temple. The Holy Spirit is now inside of you. We're not waiting for one man to go into one room to make the the atonement for our sins because Jesus has already covered it. You've been covered. You've been set free. You've been redeemed. Now we come in freely into the presence of the living God because we are where he dwells. Come on, are you with me this morning? I'm going to wrap up here in a minute. 
But what happens when we keep on choosing to live the life of sin? Hebrews says it. In chapter 10, verse 26, it says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Why? Because the greatest sacrifice has already taken place. Jesus has already laid his life down. No sacrifice for sins is left. Only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll see you next week. This is what you have to look forward to. If you deliberately keep on sinning, What's that mean? After we've received the knowledge of truth. For Josiah, Josiah mourned because he had been living outside of God's commands because he didn't know what his commands were. But he reads through Deuteronomy. And now he knows the commands of God. For him to still keep on living like his father did would be to deliberately go against what he knows is wrong. And when we deliberately go against what we know is wrong, we are deliberately choosing sin over the sacrifice that Jesus made. And here's here's what happens. The law, it it wasn't abolished, it was fulfilled. Jesus came down when he gave his life and he read through the Torah and he read through all these sacrifices that had to happen. Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover them all for all eternity. For all eternity. And he lays down his life. For all eternity. But for us, what we're doing is is when when Jesus did that, he actually bridged the gap. Because the law actually created the separation between us and God. So if God's over there, here's the law. We're separated. There's no way to get to God. What Jesus did when when he gave his life is he tore down the separation. Because no longer are you sinners You've been made righteous through Jesus. You no longer have to identify as a sinner. You now identify as a child of God. And what it did was it brings us back into relationship with God. But what had happened in the nation of Israel was they were so far removed from God that they didn't even realize that the book of the law was hidden. And when I saw that a couple nights ago, the thing that jumped up in my spirit was how many of us have aspects of our life that are so far removed from God, we've no longer even looked to God to deal with it. What are the aspects of our life that we've removed so far from God that God's not even allowed to speak to it? God's not even allowed to touch it. Is it your marriage? Your kids? The the sin that you've been dealing with that you're not telling anybody about? That addiction that you can't seem to to conquer? That life you live when you're outside of church? What is it? What is the area of your life that you said, no, God, I'll give you everything but that? And we've become so far removed from God that we no longer allow God to speak to it. 
and our hearts have become callous to what God is trying to say. I can't answer the question for you. But I believe that the Holy Spirit's telling you right now. Come on, that area that you can't seem to shake, you want to stop thinking about it, but you can't stop thinking about it. Maybe we need to re-examine it. Because the new covenant created closeness with God. But when we actively choose sin, we create separation from God. It's not that God's separated from you. It's not that God has abandoned you. You're like, Lord, I'm alone. I feel like you're not showing up. It's not that God has separated you or God has separated from you. It's that we have actively chosen to take steps from God, away from God. But again, I can't just leave you with bad news. Because James chapter 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know what Josiah did? He, he, he hears Deuteronomy and then after he hears it, he mourns, he repents, and then he lives out the rest of his life turning the nation of Israel back towards God. He starts undoing all the things that his dad did, all the things that his grandfather did. He's reconstructing the temple. Why? Because he heard about the goodness of God and it changed the way he lived. Come on, it's not about a legalism. It's not about I'm just going to follow rules because God wants me to follow rules. It's because Jesus was so gracious, so very generous. Here I am and I'm not about to let my grace go to waste. So oh, come on somebody. I'm going to choose to live differently. Why? Because Jesus gave it all for me and so now I'm living differently for him. It's not legalism. It's stewarding the grace that God's given you. What is the area that you've deliberately chosen to go against God? What aspect of your life is God wanting to answer? You know what sin is? There's 613 commandments that, that define what sin is, but we can say simply sin is, is knowing what God wants and going against it. It's that business deal that God was saying no that you did anyways. It was that, it was that relationship that God was saying no, but you, you did it anyways. It's deliberately going against God. But good news is grace is waiting for you. Grace is waiting for you. No sacrifice of sins is left. And so either for your choice is to go back underneath the covering of the one sacrifice that was made. Or, as I said, have the fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I don't know about you, but the first part of Deuteronomy 28 sounds a whole lot better than that. Blessing the city, blessing the country, you're blessed coming, you're blessed going. Listen, when Jesus fulfilled the law, he made available those promises to you again. And so though we're unworthy and undeserving of the promises of God, Jesus comes on scene, gives his life, and because of his life and his sacrifice, you're able to, to go into the presence of God freely. You're able to receive the blessings the fruit of your womb will be blessed, the crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herd. 
Well, that was, the, that was what they did for a living. You're gonna, be, you're gonna be blessed in your job. Come on, you're gonna find favor at your job. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. What is that? That's the, that's the things that you need in daily life to live. Come on, your bank account. A lot of people wanna get mad about this. Is it not written right here in the word of God? If you deliberately follow, if you, if you go in the ways of the Lord, if you follow the commands I've given you, we're going to live right. We're going to follow in the ways of the Lord. But here's the good news. If you slip up, Jesus' grace covers you so that you're no longer disqualified from the blessing of the Lord. You still qualify. Why? Not because you're good, but because the Lord is good. Amen, everybody. What is the thing? What is that area? I'm not going to answer it. I want you to go think about it. And we got a great opportunity coming up Wednesday night, a freedom night right here. With that area, come on, I know, you're, I know it, you, you know it. I know you know it. And Wednesday night, we're going to have a moment right here where whatever that is, you don't have to wait till Wednesday night. But Wednesday night's the next, next thing that we're offering. A freedom night right here where you can lay it down before the Lord. Come on, once and for all. Why? Because I'd rather choose the blessing of the Lord. I want to live in his plan for my life. I'm not gonna, I don't want to keep on deliberately choosing to go against him. His plan is so much greater. Amen, everybody. Come on, this is the new covenant. The new covenant is grace. We don't deserve it, but he still is extending it. But you have to receive it. Amen, everybody. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending Jesus. God, though we are unworthy, undeserving of it, but you still send Jesus. While we are yet sinners, you die for us. And God, we're so thankful that you have paid the price. Father, it doesn't matter what we've done, what mistakes we've made, what failures. God, we know that our actions do not surprise you. God, we're just thankful that you would continue to pursue us continue to extend grace to us. And right now with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're in here and you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus and, and you're still living outside of him, and, but, but yet you want, you want to receive the blessings of the Lord, you want to follow after him, just where you are, if you want to make that decision to follow Jesus today, just raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. Come on, we're not going to embarrass you. We just want to pray and watch God show up in your life. Anybody like that at all? Come on, don't miss this opportunity. I see your hand. Thank you. Come on, I'll see your hand. There you go. Be brave. Come on, be brave about it. It's a big decision. I see your hands. Thank you. Come on, anybody like that at all? I'm choosing to live for Jesus. I'm done living my own life, choosing my own path. Got five people in here making that decision. That's big. That's big. Come on, let's all pray this together. Say, Lord, come on, say it like you mean it. Lord, forgive me of my sins for the times that I chose to go against you. I'm choosing today to make you the Lord of my life. I believe, God, that you raised Jesus from the grave. And I'm confessing him as my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate those who made that decision?